Welcome to the Brady Haywood Podcast, the podcast where we look at engineering failures and disasters. My name is Sean Brady. The failure of the Malahide Viaduct in Ireland was a near miss. A passenger train travelling on the Dublin to Belfast line had just made it across the viaduct before a section of the structure collapsed into the Broadmeadow estuary. And while the technical cause of this failure is very straightforward, the human factors that conspired to collapse this bridge are a relatively new phenomenon. A phenomenon known as corporate memory loss. The Malahide Viaduct is located about 14 kilometres north of Dublin in Ireland, and it's on the Belfast to Dublin line. Now, this viaduct crosses the Broadmeadow Estuary, and it's got multiple spans supported on masonry piers. So, on the evening of the 21st of August 2009, at 6.22, a passenger train was travelling across the viaduct. And in the investigation that followed, the train driver said he noticed that it appeared as if part of the structure was collapsing beneath the train. Now the train safely made it across the viaduct, then stopped at Malahide Station. The driver alerted the signalman, the signalman set all signals to danger, and this prevented any other trains from crossing the viaduct. Then the train driver jumps out of the train and walks back up the train line to discover that one of the piers, Pier 4, along with two spans of the viaduct, have collapsed into the Broadmeadow Estuary. And if this had happened when the train was on these spans, it would have been a complete disaster, because the train was full of passengers. Now, if you're a structural or a civil engineer, you can probably make a really good guess at what caused this failure. But rather than looking at the cause right now, what we'll do is we'll go back and we'll look over the history of this bridge. And it's a long history, because it was actually constructed more than 150 years ago. So, the Malahide Viaduct is owned and operated by Irnwood Aaron, the Irish rail body, and it was constructed in 1844. Now, the original viaduct was 176 metres long, and it consisted of 11 timber spans, each approximately 16 metres long. And these spans were then in turn supported on 10 timber piles that were driven into the estuary bed. But, soon after construction, a significant problem was discovered. The structure was found to be susceptible to scour. Now, if you're not familiar with scour, scour can occur whenever you construct a structure in moving water. So, we'll take the example of the viaduct, which is supported on timber piles. Water flows around these piles as a result of the ebb and flow of the tide in the estuary, but the water doesn't exactly flow around the piles in a smooth manner. Instead, as it flows by the piles, it swirls and results in vortices and eddies. And these vortices and eddies stirs up the estuary bed around the piles. And essentially this swirling sucks the sand and soil from around each of the piles and begins to ultimately dig them out of the estuary bed. And if this is allowed to continue, the piles can collapse. So scour action is a major concern for any engineer who's managing assets in a marine or a river environment. And this includes assets like bridges, wharfs, jetties, and that sort of thing. And this was precisely the issue they identified with the Malahide Viaduct. So to manage it, they initially dumped rocks around the piles. And this meant that scour action now had to pull away the rocks before it could remove the estuary bed. So 
in essence, they'd created a sacrificial lair. Then in 1846, only two years after the viaduct was opened, a stone weir was constructed beneath the viaduct. So now you've got this rock weir underwater running along the length of the viaduct. And think of this as just like an underwater wall. And the weir does two things. It directly protects the piles from scour action, and it also maintains a constant level of water in the estuary. And this constant level reduces the volume of water flowing in and out of the estuary, which in turn reduces the scour forces. But in a way, this still wasn't good enough, and in order to maintain the weir's integrity, stones had to be continually discharged along the viaduct to replace those that had been lost by scour action. So the scour forces were actually strong enough to pull stones straight out of this rock weir. Then in 1860, the timber piles were pulled up and replaced with masonry piers, and these piers were supported directly on top of the stone weir. And at the same time, the timber bridge beams were replaced with wrought iron lattice girder beams. Then further weir maintenance continued in 1822. They dropped a huge 5,200 ton of stone along this viaduct, which is an incredible amount of stone. Then in 1865, the lattice girder beams were replaced with the post-tension concrete beams, and these were the beams that were in place at the time of the failure. And then a grouting program was undertaken in 1967 and 68 to inject concrete into the weir to further help stabilise it. Essentially, they were gluing the rocks together. Then more grouting was also undertaken in 72 and 73. And then in 1976, they had a further discharge of stones along the wharf. Now, the final documented discharge of stones occurred in 1996, and that's 13 years before the failure. So... The ongoing management of the structure's susceptibility to scour was a key requirement since its original construction. So given all that, what was the cause of the failure of Pier 4 and the subsequent collapse of spans 4 and 5? What caused this? Well, we know that with more than a 150-year history of scour risk and scour prevention maintenance, it couldn't have been scour. Except, yep, you've guessed it, it was scour turned out that scour action had completely undermined the foundations of Pier 4, with the pier ultimately being swept away and leading to the collapse of the spans. So how did this happen? You know, did Aaron Road Aaron simply forget that scour was a problem? Well, yes, this sort of did. Now, the investigation of the collapse was undertaken by the Rail Accident Investigation Unit. Now, we're not going to step through all of the findings. I, I think it's much more interesting to approach this failure from the perspective of the engineers in charge of managing the assets. So if you were one of these engineers on the ground and in charge of this bridge, what did you actually know? Were you even aware of the scar risk and scar maintenance that had been going on for the past 150 years? So at the time of the failure, Aaron Rodern managed their asset management data in their IAMS system, which was introduced in 2005. Now, this system was supposed to contain all the relevant information on the bridges in their network. But in the case of the Malahide Viaduct, there was no information to highlight the structure's susceptibility to scour. Not a mention. In fact, the only information uploaded was the viaduct's number and mileage. Now, the rest of the information pertaining to this bridge and all the others was meant to be uploaded into this IAM system from the bridge inspection guards, which was the previous system they used to manage the assets. But the investigators discovered that the information from the bridge inspection guards hadn't been transferred to the new system, and they've discovered that there wasn't widespread acceptance of the new system, 
nor was the new system enforced. And we see these sorts of issues all the time in affairs. The new asset management system looked great on paper, but in practice it wasn't functioning at all. So what about the bridge inspection cards? What did they say about SCAR? Well, they said nothing either. Nobody had mentioned to them about the SCAR risk or the maintenance program. So now you've got nothing in the IAM system and nothing in the bridge inspection cards. And to make matters worse, there was no construction drawings relating to the viaducts foundations. And in the absence of these drawings, the engineers assumed that the masonry piers were founded on bedrock. They didn't even know a rock weir was in place, so they didn't appreciate that the integrity of their structure, the viaduct, was dependent on the integrity of a weir that they didn't even know was there. So given all this, was there any information on SCAR written down anywhere? Well, it turns out there was. There was a key piece of information in the form of an inspection report. This report was prepared by Northeast Diving Services in 1997. Now that's 12 years prior to the failure. Now they were engaged to remove a derelict barge from the site and to conduct an inspection of the viaduct. And this report makes for a pretty shocking reading given the failure in 2009. So in 1997, their report said there was significant deterioration of the grout in the weir as a whole, with the scour protection being, quote, too light for the job. They then go on to say that scouring had already commenced at Pier 4, and of course this was the pier that actually collapsed in 2009. But this report wasn't uploaded in the IAM system, nor was it filed with the bridge inspection plans. In fact, it only came to light in 2010, a year after the failure. And it was discovered by Air and Road Air and Personnel when they were simply clearing out an office. So the engineers responsible for the structure were missing a key document, a report that specifically identified scour as a risk to the viaduct. And in particular, they were missing a document that highlighted that scour damage in the vicinity of Pier 4 had already commenced. And the failure investigators found no evidence to suggest that any works were carried out on the weir following this inspection report. And they assumed that the weir was simply allowed to deteriorate further. So was anyone aware of the scour risk and scour maintenance? Turns out there were people. The failure investigators found that former Air and Road Air and staff were indeed aware of the viaduct scour susceptibility and maintenance routine, but these staff members had since left the division. So the engineers responsible for the structure in 2009 were not aware that continuous maintenance to the weir was required to prevent deterioration. Now, I know that doesn't absolve them for a failure to check for scar anyway, and there were certainly other contributing factors to this failure, but it does highlight a very serious system failure. The information to adequately manage the risk to the structure was not available to the engineers, and this is what the investigators called corporate memory loss. The reality is that by 2009, the knowledge and information relating to the scour susceptibility of the Malahide Viaduct resided in the heads of a number of individuals who'd left the division, rather than in a formal system that was accessible to the engineers responsible for the structure. And I think it's fair to say that we're now in an era where the concept of a job for life is becoming more and more uncommon. You know, people move around more frequently from job to job and role to role. And this happens in all professions. And this failure teaches us that if the information these personnel possess isn't written down, or if it's not filed properly, then personnel are likely to take this corporate knowledge with them. And in the world of asset management, where knowledge of a structure's past is critical for managing that structure's future, the loss of this sort of knowledge can be crippling. 
The Malahide Viaduct Collapse teaches us that corporate memory loss is very real. And when a loss of knowledge bites us, it bites hard. Mm-hmm.